Okay. Well, we continue on in 1 John chapter 2. We are in our series called Follow Me as we walk through what it looks like to uh, actually follow Jesus. We love 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John because he is direct, he is straightforward, and he makes uh, it very clear what it looks like to actually follow Jesus. It's hard to fake it uh, and then read John and still fake it. Like you, It's hard to uh, say, you know what, I'm going to confess Jesus as Lord, but not really follow him and read this book and not be really convicted. So we are in 1 John chapter 2 tonight, and I'm going to catch us up if you guys are uh, joining us for the first time or you just need refreshed. We'll walk through what we've walked through so far. First thing in chapter 1, the first four verses, we talked about the message itself. The word became flesh. We see God came to earth. We, we see the gospel through Jesus Christ, and we experience that message. God wants us to experience it, something more than just knowing it, but experiencing it. And that leads us to verses 5 through 7 in chapter 1, talking about uh, that we got we got to know the message. And of course, after that, confess the message. And we finished out, uh, or we actually kicked off chapter 2, talking about belief. So these are the foundational pieces of the gospel, uh, and John is walking us through it. And we see last week in verses 3 through 6 of chapter 2, he talked about obeying the message. Now in verse 6, he said, whoever claims to abide or to live in, to remain in Jesus, um, is going to walk in the ways that he walked, or he says he ought to walk in the ways that Jesus walked. So what does that mean? That was verse 6. Now verse 7 goes into the basic fundamental command of Love. And so that's our topic tonight. We're going to look at five verses, 7, 8, 9, 10, and 11. And we're going to be talking about the command of love. Now, you'll notice right off the bat, there's a little bit of a play on words. I didn't just say the command to love, right? Even though there is a command to love one another, to love God. But this is uh, the command of love. Jesus isn't just commanding us to love. He is love. He is the perfect example of love. He's the motivation for love. Uh, It all flows through him and for him and because of him. So with that being said, uh, and we're going to just dive right in tonight, I want you to challenge yourself as we're walking through this tonight. Um, How is your heart right now? Your relationship with God, are you you, uh, showing love? Are you experiencing love? Are you a loving person this week, or are you uh, are you a bit of a hater? Uh, I know that's not fun to talk about, but we're going to challenge ourselves tonight as we talk about love and, in contrast, love hate, um, and maybe even worse than than hate. Are you indifferent? Are you indifferent? Do you just not really care right now? Maybe your circumstances have led you to just check out a little bit emotionally, or mentally, or spiritually. Uh, and so you might feel indifferent. Well, as always, we hope that uh, the love of Christ uh, hits your heart and your mind tonight. So let's jump on in. If you've got a Bible, First John chapter 2, verse 7. And it says, Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment. So he says, Beloved, because remember, he's, a, he's refuting false teachers who are coming in, who don't really love the people, but they're saying, Hey, you just have to have a knowledge of God. You don't really have to obey him. You don't, you don't got to do anything. Just have a knowledge of God spiritually, and, and you'll be okay. And John's saying, Listen, I love y'all. I was with you. I walked with you. We lived this out together. 
I want to remind you, I, I love you. Beloved, I am writing to you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you have from the beginning. And the old commandment is the word that you have heard. All right, let's stop right there. First thing we see is Jesus' command to love. So this is the command to love. He says there's a new commandment, and he's, he's excuse me, he says, I'm writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment. Now, in the next verse, he's going to say, but it's also a new commandment. Things can be old and new at the same time, right? Like you can have uh, an old car uh, with a new engine. You can have an old house with uh, a new paint um, job on the outside. You can uh, have a new uh, vehicle in your driveway, but it's a 1980, you know, Camaro with 80,000 miles on it, right? Like you can have new and old things at the same time. But he says here, this is an old commandment that you have had from the beginning. Now, beginning, usually when John says beginning, uh, he, he means the beginning of time, right? If you look at chapter 1, the beginning of uh, chapter 1, he says that in the beginning, and we're talking about the beginning of time, right? Even before the beginning of time, uh, that God was, that Jesus was, and the Word became flesh. But beginning here means from the beginning of the Christian uh, faith from the beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry. So it's not the beginning of time, even though you go back to Leviticus chapter 19 in the Old Testament, and you'll see uh, the command to love your neighbor. And he says, the, the, this old commandment that you have heard. So they're familiar with it, but what is this commandment? Well, this commandment comes from John chapter 13, after Jesus had dis, uh, washed the disciples' feet and he had uh, the final supper with them, he tells them, little children, this is verse 33 of chapter 13, little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will see, seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. So he was speaking of his death and, and resurrection in that moment. A new commandment I give to you. So this must be pretty important. Like he, he's, he's, he's giving some final words to these guys. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. And you also are to love one another. As I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. So Jesus is saying, I'm telling you to love one another, and the whole world is going to know that you follow me because you love one another. They're going to look at Christianity and know it is about love. It's about love. So, first question might be, so what is this love? Like, we could talk about love all day long and hate all day long according to the world. There's lots of definitions of those things. But what biblically is love? Is it just being nice to people? Is it showing affection to one another? Is it being kind? Well, those are all great things. Um, but love that we see here in the original uh, language from John chapter 13 is a love that is unconditional, a love that is self-sacrificing, a love that's selfless. Ultimately, the love of Christians is different primarily than the love that the world has for one another um, because the world's love, at the end of the day, is always self-serving, right? Even, even if um, you were talking about romantic relationships, why do we love others? Well, they've got great qualities, but ultimately, like, we want to feel good, like it's self-serving. Or we do something nice for someone, and maybe even in the back of our mind, we're thinking, well, there might be a day where they can repay this. Like, it is a self-serving love. Very few people 
have a, a self-sacrificing love um, without knowing Jesus. He ultimately is the one who shows us what that looks like. But it's kind of like this. Now, this might be um, this might be a silly example. How many of y'all know what this is? Some of you, right? It's a monkey, right? It is. You're good. You're good. Um, this is, and I'm not even sure what the name of these things are. Is it like a nesting doll or something weird? Is that what that's called? Right? Now, if you just see this little thing, and there's all kinds of them out there, little people. Usually it's not monkeys. This is Silas's, so it's a monkey, right? Um, what would you expect to find inside of this? If I just ripped this thing open, what would you expect to find inside of it? More monkeys. See, well, you guys are good. You've seen this before. But if you had never seen it before, you would maybe be thinking, well, it's either going to be hollow in there or it'll be maybe like the guts or something. Like it'll be, it'll be the monkey will be inside the monkey, right? And, and of course, you guys, if you've seen uh, these before, you know, as you open it, there is another little monkey. And if you open that little guy, another little monkey and another little monkey. And then eventually there's just bananas, right? There's always bananas, right? But here's what I'm saying. This is simple and kind of silly and hard to put back together. But ultimately, inside of this, the core of it is other little monkeys. It's other people. And for Christians, our love is different than the love of the world because at the core, at the center, at the heart of our love is other people, right? It is, it is a love that wants to bless other people. This is why the love of God is so incredibly important because he isn't just doing something to an individual when he loves you. He's saying, I'm starting a chain reaction. God's love is a chain reaction kind of love. And so it's different because self-serving love ends with you and your enjoyment, your pleasure. You see, this love that we're commanded to have from John 13, uh, this commandment, it, it is not going to be uh, easy. It's not simple. It's not convenient. As many of you know, it's hard. It is a love that has to be committed. It is a love that perseveres. It's a consistent kind of love. And it's crucial for Christians for two reasons. You guys know when, when people say, well, love is like primary. It's at the, the heart of Christianity. And for us, it's huge for at least a couple reasons. Number one, Jesus in his earthly ministry sums up all 600 plus laws that you see. There's actually 400 plus in the Old Testament, but the Pharisees has added, had added a couple hundred more onto that. And so the Jews asked him, you know, what's the most important law? And he says, he sums it up. In what? Takes all that law, all of God's moral law, and sums it up by saying two things. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor is yourself. So love God, love others. That's all of God's moral law. So this is crucial for Christians because it shows your external obedience to God's moral law. But even deeper than that, number two, love is at the heart of the Christian faith because love ultimately shows your internal experience. It shows whether or not and not only are you saved, but that you, you, you get it. You have revelation, like you've been blown away by the cross. So love is only something that can truly be given when you have received it. It's a crucial part. Christian love can only truly be given after you've received it. You can't fake it. We'll talk more about that in a bit. 
but it's crucial. So it shows your, in, your internal reception of God's love and then your external obedience to love others. That's why it's so crucial uh, that love is core. It's a key ingredient to the Christian faith. Have you ever had, um, you ever had someone cook for you and they left out a key ingredient? Right? Like we all got stories of, of a key ingredient that was left out and it just, you know, something didn't rise or something just tasted nasty or maybe you didn't even know exactly what was going on, but you're like, something was wrong with that recipe. It changes everything, doesn't it? I remember when I was little, maybe six or seven years old, uh, we, we didn't get out of the house much in our tiny little hometown, but um, we stayed overnight this one weekend at, at another family's house way out in the country in the middle of nowhere. They lived um, in the boondocks, and our parents shipped us off to, to stay with this family. They, were, uh, they had kids our age, and so we're all friends, and man, it was fun. They had a big pond out there, and they had a little forest behind their house. We just had a blast. But we went uh, to eat that night, and I didn't know at the time that um, they were, they were kind of strange people. Like when you're six, seven, you don't really know. You don't know how strange people are uh, until things like this happen. And uh, the mom who was cooking, she was a, a nurse who was all about health, but she was into like new um, health remedies and philosophies that were just kind of out there. She had all kinds of herbs and stuff, things, things that I didn't learn about till later. But that night, she, um, she cooked us spaghetti, I was a little kid. Most little kids are like spaghetti, right? But because she had all these different health fads, one thing that she, she didn't want in her food was salt. Have you ever had spaghetti without salt? It was stinking disgusting. Like, it was nasty. And as a little boy, I didn't know what to do because I'm thinking, you know, we don't, like, this is, this is, this is sick. Um, this is gross. And they kept telling me, you're going to eat it for breakfast if you don't eat it tonight. You're going to eat it for breakfast. Like, I was traumatized as a little boy. They were messing with me, but, like, I didn't, I literally sat there for a couple hours while everyone else went off, and I would not eat my spaghetti. Why? Because it was nasty. It was missing a key ingredient. And that's what happens when you take love out of Christianity. It just doesn't make sense. It's a hollow religion uh, that the rest of the world would say, hmm, why would you want to be a part of that? Maybe that's a good reason why a lot of the world looks at us and, and doesn't view Christianity as life-giving, <laughs> but something that stops you from having fun. When Christians lack love, that would do it. That would do it. So let me challenge you before we move on to the next point here. If you find yourself trying to obey the command to love without receiving love, and I'm even talking on a daily basis, reminding yourself of the love of Christ, the gospel. Uh, you're going to find yourself broken and burn out pretty quick. On the flip side, please do not try to have a personal relationship with Jesus and have no interest in fulfilling the command to love. Because there's no place in the Christian faith for the Lone Ranger mentality. The command of Christ to love means that if you have a chance for community, you need to be in community. You need to be loving others, both those in the faith and outside of the faith. And if you're trying to learn about spiritual things, if you're trying to grow in your relationship with Jesus and you have no real intentions or desires of actually fulfilling that command to love, you're deceiving yourself. You're deceiving yourself. Verse 8, at the same time, 
it is a new commandment. So in verse 7, he said it was an old commandment. So this has been around for a while, but now it's a new commandment. How can that be? That I'm writing to you, which is true in him and in you. Because the darkness is passing away, and the true light is already shining. Second thing we see is we have a new understanding of love. So this is a commandment we've known about for a while, to love one another. right? This is what it means to follow Jesus, one part of it. But we have a new understanding of love. So, what does it mean when he says that this is true in him and in you? Well, we see Jesus obviously showed us this love, like he fulfilled it himself, but it also means that we are to fulfill it as well. It's both something that goes through him and through us. And then it says down here below, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. The darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. What does that mean? Well, Jesus, of course, with his death and resurrection, he, he conquered death. He conquered darkness. And even though the enemy has reign on earth until end times, we know that through the gospel, we don't have to be slaves to sin, right? Um, we don't have to fall into the darkness. We don't have to walk in the darkness. And so from the death and resurrection of Jesus through Christians then living out their faith in love, he's saying, listen, the darkness is being broken through. It was initiated, it was inaugurated when Jesus died on the cross and he conquered death. Darkness took a hit. But you and I actually living out our faith in love is a proclamation. When we love one another, when we love this world, it's a proclamation that light is shining in the darkness. That light is shining in the darkness. Remember, this idea of light and dark, we've talked about this quite a bit. This is crucial to uh, John, 1 John chapter 1, but light is communion with God. It's fellowship with God. It is revelation. It's understanding. It's those who get it, right? Those who get it. And he's saying, you've got to walk in this light. And the darkness, then, is therefore a lack of understanding, a lack of uh, communion with God through Jesus, a lack of revelation to these spiritual things. You say, well, how in the world, though, is it a new commandment? How how is it a new commandment? Keep in mind, a lot happened between uh, this and John, excuse me, John chapter 13, when he gave us that commandment, and now. Anything in particular you can think of? How about the death of Jesus? So, it's a new commandment because we have a new example of love. This self-sacrificing love was shown ultimately on the cross. Um, how about a, uh, a new spirit or power to live out this command of love? Uh, the disciples, when they're hearing that in John 13, they aren't filled with the Holy Spirit like you and I are as believers. So that came later for them. And then ultimately a new motivation. They see uh, this new covenant of grace and mercy. Like we love because he loved us first. We want the world to experience his grace, his mercy. So we've got new examples, new power, new motives of love. So we have a new understanding of love, right? Ultimately. As I mentioned earlier, the world's idea of love, it is marked by things like affection. Things like uh, simple enjoyment, even just being nice to one another. All those things can be good. But ours, uh, our love is marked by a power Um, that is better than simple enjoyment, simple affection, simply being nice to one another. Our love is marked by a power because it carries a message behind it that changes the world. 
Our love is marked by power because it has a spirit uh, that this world doesn't have. It's a huge difference between a Christian's love and the world's love. You see, Jesus' love is tied to his mission. Like we don't just accept love and give love just because it's the right thing to do, but this is, uh, this is an evangelism tool. Like love is God's evangelism tool. Uh, he knows this is something the world won't understand, but it's what they need. And when we show love, when we give love, when we act in love, man, we're spreading love. I don't know about y'all, but when spring comes, one thing that I enjoy being a part, uh, being a Kansan and living in this area uh, is a spring burn. Anyone like it when the fields all get burned and you got darkness and clouds all over the place and you can smell that fire from all over, you can smell that smoke and you're like, oh, someone's burning, someone's burning, right? Lots of reasons why people burn to get the impurities out, to get any kind of disease out, to help foster fresh growth for cattle and whatnot. Now, I don't know a ton about burning, but I know that there's a few factors that anyone who's going to burn a pasture has to think about. Um, you got to think about uh, you got to think about the dryness, like moisture. Like if it's pouring, probably not going to be able to to burn, right? You got to think about the wind. <laughs> the wind, if it, if it's blowing like crazy, uh, it could be out of control. But if it's blowing just a little bit, like it can help spread this thing. So wind is a big deal. And you got to think about fire, obviously, itself. Uh, the fire does the work. Um, spiritually speaking, if we were going to uh, look at that as an analogy for spiritual things, you see the harvest field that you and I have to make disciples. Uh, the dryness would be uh, their receptivity, the world's receptivity to our message. The fire would be the message itself. The wind would be the Holy Spirit. But there's a part in burning fields here in Kansas that, that I like the most. And it's that you got to have someone, you don't have to, but you do, uh, have someone with a drip torch. You ever seen a drip torch? Where a lot of times they'll be on a four-wheeler or something, or you might have several guys, and they'll go along, and they'll just drip, essentially drip fire. And just kind of just whoosh, little fireballs kind of dripping, and it just lights, whoosh, 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 just lights the field. And before you know it, boom, whole field can be on fire. And that's what it's like for you and I. When we, as messengers of God, God's grace, love one another, we love this world, we're just dripping. We're just dripping the good news of Jesus. Everywhere we go, through acts of love, through um, what we do, what we say, how we treat people. People are like, ah, that's something. Oh, that's different. Huh, where's that come from? And, and they can tell there's a joy, there's a hope inside of us. Love is an evangelistic tool. It's part of God's plan comes from the overflow. Let me ask you this before we move on to the next verse. Knowing that uh, you and I are part of this plan to push back the darkness for the light to shine, uh, if you look at your workplace this week, is darkness getting pushed back by the way that you love people? If you look at your house, I'm talking about your home, the people in it, we all got issues. But is the darkness getting pushed back by the way that you love? Now, ultimately, we know the love has to be attached by the proclamation of the message, right? But right now, we're just talking about the love. Are you pressing back the darkness by the way that you love? Verse 9. 
Now, for the last couple of ver- few verses here, we're going to be talking specifically about hate and love. Verse 9 is for the haters. Whoever says, so whoever would be you and I, says he is in the light and hates his brother, is still in darkness. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in the darkness. Third thing we see is that hate shows where you stand. Hate shows where you stand. Now, a few key words. In, we've seen this over and over, abide, in, where you remain. So big picture wise, yes, he's saying, like if you find yourself as a hater, you might not be a Christian. If you find yourself hating those around you, you might not be a Christian. So like if you're thinking to yourself, this is kind of scary. Could this be me? Like, it could be. It could be. But the, the, this isn't just a big picture. Have you accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior thing? We're, we're talking, where do you remain? Like on a daily basis. Do you have a culture uh, of hate going on? In the light, again, this place of revelation and understanding, this place of communion with God. So if you say you are remaining in communion with God, if you're saying, man, I got a solid relationship with Jesus. I'm obeying him. I'm in his word. I'm filled with his spirit. It's solid day in and day out. But then you hate your brother. You're still in darkness. So I'm going to talk about this in a second, but let me hit these. Brother means both Christians and non-Christians. It means neighbor as well. Uh, In the Old Testament, in Leviticus 19, it says neighbor. Of course, we see other places in Scripture where we're told to love our neighbor. But this is is for both Christians and non-Christians. Is still, this is that scary part, like you might, you might not be saved. You might still be in darkness, this place of no communion with God, no real understanding, no revelation. You just don't get it. You just don't get it is what he's saying. Now, back to hate. What do you think hate means? I think a lot of us, we, we think of hate as kind of the worst. Um, like you, you can uh, not be pleased with people. You can uh, not like people. But then like there's hate. Hate. You want to know what hate means? Going back to the original language and to the Greek here, hate means very specifically a strong dislike for someone or something with hostility. So you strongly dislike someone and there's hostility involved. That's kind of scary. Because that's not, that's not as, as like crazy <laughs> of a definition. I mean, some of us are like, I can kind of relate to that a little more than I was hoping. I, I thought there was just going to be like a picture of Charles Manson, Manson in, the, you know, in, the, in the definition of this or Jeffrey Dahmer or something. But like, like a strong dislike, that's it, with hostility. You ever, you ever met someone who, man, they got that smile on their face or sitting in the front pew on Sundays and you know because they just make it known that they are a Christian, but they just do not treat people well at all. And you just have that feeling and you're getting like, yeah, yeah, you just, <laughs> something that just ain't clicking. Well, John's talking to those people, saying you cannot fake this. Now, how many of you have found yourself saying this? When someone in your life has seen that maybe you don't like someone very well, um, you, you would say this. Well, hate, they say you hate them, don't you? Hate is a strong word. 
I would say that I strongly dislike someone. I strongly dislike them. But I don't hate them. Guess what? (laughs) John's saying, you hate them. No, 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 no. I strongly dislike them. Like, don't flower this up. Don't, don't, Don't make this sound better than it is. You hate them. We have tried to separate the two, right? To where we can still be good Christians and really not like a whole bunch of people. But we don't hate them. Now, to be fair, John's not saying that you have to feel like a a, a likeness for people or, or feel a love. This is more about how you act not necessarily how you feel, right? Because we know that we feel not so great about some folks. But there is hostility involved with your dislike. Um, so obviously, uh, if you smack someone in the face because you're angry because you dislike them, like that would, be, that would be hate. But even in our heart, right? There's something to be said about the way we feel. If you, uh, if you aren't outwardly acting in a hateful manner, but your heart has an atmosphere, an environment, it's just... Just meditate, just, yeah. Just bubbling up from the surface that you just do not like someone. I think in God's economy, that's probably as hateful as the guy who smacks the other guy in the face because he doesn't like him. And that's scary because a lot of us fall into this category. You think of hate, you think of genocide, you think of murder. But it's a little more common, I think, than that. And I think the problem uh, with hate in action is obviously your deeds. It ain't good to smack someone in the face if you don't like them, right? But I think what's dangerous for most of the people probably in this room, including myself, is again, that atmosphere. And more than the atmosphere of, of hate in your heart, like if you just, if you just dislike people a lot, and you're just like, <laughs> you just, oh, just kind of grin and bear it, the decisions that come out of that kind of atmosphere in your heart. Here, let me give you an example. So uh, I told you guys on Sunday, if you were here, um, I told you all about the car story um, that, man, we bought that car a year ago and it's just given us trouble after trouble after trouble. And, and um, I just don't like it. Well, right now, one of the issues that it's giving us is uh, that it won't recognize. It's got one of those smart key things on it where like, it doesn't really have a key, but you just get within a few feet and it recognizes that, hey, it detects the key and you just press a button on the door, you press a button on the dash to start it. So it's great when it's working, but not so great when it's not working, right? Well, it, it only works like 30% of the time. And so I knew, oh man, I'm going to have to get this fixed. I don't want to get stranded somewhere. And so I looked into a few different options, and based on some reviews online, it said, well, maybe um, the, the battery could be dead in here, which, you know, batteries just cost a couple bucks, and, uh, or it could be the key fob itself, and so you just have got to buy another one, right? Or it could be the sensor in the door. Now, I don't know how much that costs, but I'm guessing this is probably going to cost a good chunk. Automatically, out of these three options, I'm thinking it's probably the sensor in the door. It's probably the sensor in the door because that's just the history we have with this stinking car. It just is a pain. So 
I think about these three options. Okay, you got the battery, you could change that. You could get a new key fob. And I thought, well, I only got one uh, key fob to begin with, so let me just order a second one at worst. You, you know, you find that if it works, the other one doesn't, then it's the battery in the other one, and you got two. Um, you know, you got a spare key as well, right? But it costs like 70 bucks for a spare key, this little key fob thing. Well, I'll go ahead and just order it. I got to get programmed, blah, blah, blah. It costs money. Well, I was talking to uh, a brilliant mechanic, Mr. Jim, sitting over here yesterday, and uh, I was telling him about it, and he said, he just looked at me like I was stupid, and he said, why, why, didn't, you, uh, why didn't you just change the battery first? It only costs a couple bucks. Like before anything else, why don't you just change the battery? Uh, well, yeah, I, mean, I could do that, but I, I need this, you know, justifying it. So I go home, I'm like, yeah, I should just, <laughs> just for curiosity's sake, I should just change the battery because I, I literally have a spare battery in the house already. I don't even got to buy it. I flip out the battery. The thing's been working all day. But I already spent my 75 bucks on getting a new key last week. It came in the mail today. And you say, well, what does, it, what does it have to do with anything? Listen, I strongly dislike that stinking car. I didn't just go out there and kick the thing. But I made, because of a culture of dislike in my heart for that car, I made a dumb decision. How many of you with relationships, coworkers, you're not out there smacking them in the noggin because you hate them. Hopefully you're not. But you find you're not giving them second chances. You're not giving these people that you dislike the benefit of the doubt. How much ministry is getting squelched? Because you wouldn't say, well, I downright hate them, but you've got a culture, you've got an atmosphere in your heart of strong dislike that is breeding some bad decisions with these people. Find yourself gossiping about them, slandering them, because you're just uneasy inside about them. I think we all can be there. And let me even challenge you one, one step more before we go on to the next one. Are you putting yourself in an external, so that's an internal atmosphere of dislike, of hate, that a lot of us just live in. Are you putting yourself in an external atmosphere of hate? Like, like are you, everything from um, social media, <laughs> negativity, to, um, to, to the music you listen to, to the people that you spend time around, Right? Like I had, I had a young man uh, that I ministered to for a long time, and he would tell me about uh, just his depression. He had these highs and he had these lows, and he just, he just struggled with life. And one day we were talking, and I said, when do you find yourself like the most angry? He's like, ah, sometimes when I'm driving home uh, at night, you know, and I just think about things. I said, well, what are, you, what are you like doing when you're driving home? He said, just listening to music. I said, what's your music? He's like, uh, five-fingered death punch something or like some weird thing like whatever i said what what is that and, and, and he told me a couple other bands i said let me listen to it it's like crazy screamo stuff now it was in his mind like the christian version but the bottom line is as i talked to him more like he was finding the times he was having the hardest time with life was when he put himself in an environment of hostility as a young man, I remember listening to my Metallica and all my hard rock stuff in the car. Like, that's when I got ticked off the most, was when I was listening to other people who were ticked off. Are you putting yourself, now some of you, because of your family, because of your coworkers, like you're not going to get out of that environment. But it's just that much more important that you've got you to surround yourself with the love of Christ 
You can't stay in those environments very long without being impacted by them. I have to move on pretty quick. Now it goes to love. Verse 10. Now whoever loves his brother abides in the light or remains in the light. And in him there is no cause for stumbling. That's kind of an interesting little phrase out there. No cause for stumbling. What do we see here? In contrast to hate, love points to a power source. Love points to a power source. So again, love, we're talking about that, that sacrificial, that uh, selfless kind of love. Brother, again, that's both Christians and non-Christians, abides. So where do you remain on a daily basis? We're not talking about, did you place your faith in Jesus 10 years ago and you're, you're still banking on that? Like on a daily basis, are you spending time in the presence of God and his word? Are you, are you abiding? And it says there's no cause for stumbling. So this could mean a couple things. Um, number one, it could mean that if you are spending time in the presence of God, in God's word, if you're talking to him, if you're listening to him, if you're obeying him, if you're repenting, if you're submitting, if you're letting him do a regenerative work in your heart, then you're going to find it's a lot harder to screw up when it comes to loving others. But you're going to find that there, there's no stumbling block in Jesus himself. Right? Like if you spend time with him, you're going to find yourself more apt to be able to live out the command to love. Does that make sense? So if you live in Jesus on a daily basis, you're not going to have many stumbling blocks to actually live out the command to love. Or it could mean, and this is not an either or, but it's probably both. Scholars go back and forth on it. So I'll just give you both opinions because I think both can be right and are right ultimately. Second one is that there's no cause for stumbling for those who see you live out the command to love. In other words, if you abide in Jesus and you live out the command to love, other people who aren't Christians or even Christians will, won't look at you and be like, oh, I have a hard time seeing how they can call themselves Christians, right? Because they expect Christians are going to actually love one another and love people. We know there's a whole world full of people who look at us and say, you know what? I like your Jesus, but I don't like you. Or, you know what? I have a hard time even wanting what you have when it looks like you're acting like you're acting. And so in that sense, John's saying, yeah, there's no cause for stumbling for those people. When, when you spend time in the presence of God, you're going to naturally love people, and the world won't have to guess whether you're actually a Christian or not. And again, John's speaking to some false teachers who are proclaiming their truth, but in an unloving way. And he's saying, you flat out, y'all, you, flat, you, you false teachers, you cannot say that you got this truth about God and you don't love this congregation. You don't love people. You hate them. It just don't work. And you say, well, some people... Oh, I want to love some people, but some people are just so hard to love, right? Well, the truth is you and I both know that we're hard to love at times. Like there's a whole bunch of people who, who seem unlovable. We would all fall in that category. Here's the bottom line. Love ultimately, whether you naturally find yourself as a loving person or not, love ultimately is impossible if you don't have a power source, right? If you don't have the power source that is Christ, love is pretty hard to do constantly. 
It's hard. It's going to feel impossible at times. So the big question is always not, do you have the capacity to love uh, today or uh, in a week from now? But on a daily, consistent basis, are you plugged into a power source? Are you abiding in Jesus? A year ago, actually a year and a half ago, uh, Tara and I, we had been in that house that we live in now for like probably six months. And we kept having the same issue over and over and over. Like everything in the house from an electrical standpoint was working fine. Except whenever we plugged in the hairdryer to a bathroom outlet, you know, cause I, I use a hairdryer a lot. Right. Um, but when Tara would, it would, it would pop the breaker. So then I went out and I got one of those GFCI, whatever, blah, 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 ground fault, blah, blah, blah. And, and I replace it with that. I'm thinking, well, maybe it'll just be this outlet. Somehow this will fix it. Right. $15 is better than <laughs> what well, might be if, if this isn't the, the case. Well, that didn't fix it either. So then we went and we, we would plug it in to the bedroom. Well, that would pop the breaker. You gotta be kidding me. Why is it that this is the only real issue with electricity in the house? Like everything else seems fine. So then we had, because we had a home warranty deal, we called them to come on in. They took a look and he sees this old electrical panel and he says, oh my, This is old. This is nasty. This has got all kinds of issues. And each breaker that we replace is going to be like a hundred bucks because they don't make them anymore. This is going to be a pain. You need to replace the whole thing. Ends up ripping the whole thing out, replacing the entire electrical panel. You see, what started as a small issue with electricity found that we had a huge power source issue. And for some of us, you might be able to, on a daily basis, be nice to people, smile, be a good Christian and show them love. But at some point, you're going to crack. <laughs> at some point, you're going to break. At some point, if you're not staying constantly connected to Christ, you're going to find yourself not showing his love. Now, I'm not saying we don't make mistakes. We all make mistakes. Even those who abide in Jesus are going to make mistakes. But the whole theme to this love-hate thing is, What are you consistently pouring in so that you can consistently pour out? What are you consistently pouring in so that you can pour out? It's about the consistency. I mean, some of these things I just come up with at the last second, so so humor me on this one. Some of us who are getting worn out right now in, in... the way that we treat people, we want to love people, we want to show them the love of Christ, but we just are feeling like we're, we're, we're running on E, we're running on empty, it just ain't working. Let me, let me just ask you here with this, if this is you, if this cup of water here uh, is you, and you are pouring out, so you're loving people, you are being selfless, you're giving of yourself for the sake of others, and so you're pouring out, and you know you got to be filled up, And I'm over here showing you the power source, right? This is Christ filling you. How well does it work for you to be poured out and to be poured into at the same time? Just take a look here and see how well this works. It'll go quick. How often is it full? At best, it's like 30%, right? 
It's like I'm getting poured into, but I'm pouring back out. I'm getting poured into, but I'm pouring back out. And you never, ever really feel full of the Holy Spirit. You, you, don't, you don't feel like you're doing good. You just feel like, man, I'm worn out. Maybe that's not the way that it was meant to work. Maybe, maybe this is the way that God wanted you to pour love into others. As you sit with him, as you abide, as you obey, as you receive his love, as you find yourself filled with the Holy Spirit, he's not going to tell you, okay, now get out there, pour yourself out, and then come on back and get some more. But he says, stay here. Invite others into this. Have others join you in seeking me, following me. Don't, don't get your 20-minute devotional in the morning and then go make disciples and come back. When you're worn out, I'll give you another devotional. But just stay with me all day. Abide in me. And your evangelism, your disciple-making tool is that people are going to see the overflow of it. So the pour out is that you stay abiding in Jesus, all day, every day, and instead of just a 24 hours of, I got to just pour myself out to him, you found yourself overflowing. Now, both of them are impacting others. One of these options is keeping you filled. Obviously, this one seems a lot more like the plan God has for us. Just because he wants you to be poured out doesn't, want, doesn't mean he wants you to be on empty. Does that make sense? <clears throat> We've got two minutes. Last but not least. Verse 11. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness, and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Last but not least, hate. If you're a hater, hate needs more than an adjustment. It needs Jesus. Look at this. Whoever hates his brother, so here's, here's the topic right here, but then you see four things, like four things. He's in the darkness. So currently today, if you, like, if you hate, you are in the darkness. Right, And then you walk in the darkness. So you keep on staying in the darkness. This is your way of life. And then he does not know, this is number three, where he is going. So like, there's no real hope for you in some ways. Like you're just, you're, you're just, you're just stumbling around and you don't know when it's going to get better or when it's going to change. And then last but not least, because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Hate. Hate is not, well, I'm feeling a little bit of pain in my midsection, so I'm going to go to the chiropractor for a back adjustment. No, it's going to the the surgeon for a heart transplant. It doesn't need just an adjustment. It needs needs Jesus. There is spiritual blindness. If you find yourself in that tonight, where you're thinking through this whole message, man, I've got disdain for people. I've got hatred for people. I've got a culture and an atmosphere of hatred in my heart, and it's making me miserable. It might not be that you need an adjustment. It might mean that you've been spiritually blind for a while, that you've been deceived, that 
that you need to come to him as step one. Not just a return to him, but a come to him. A come to Jesus moment, as we'll say. But even if you find yourself as a believer and you have confidence, and I hope you do have confidence, that man, I, I don't hate, but I struggle sometimes with these feelings. I struggle sometimes with these feelings. This whole thing, this whole passage is about not what you did yesterday, not what you are going to do tomorrow to help things spiritually. Where do you remain today? Where are you tonight? Are you sitting at the feet of Jesus? Are you abiding in him today? Don't worry about tomorrow. Don't worry about yesterday. Where are you right now? The beauty of the cross is that you always have an invitation to find yourself sitting at his feet. He lives in you. <laughs> you can't get away from him. But you've got to turn your eyes to him. You've got to turn your focus to him. You've got to say, you know what, above all things, I know I'm busy and I want to be more spiritually disciplined. No, you've got to choose life. You've got to say, the TV, it, it, I could turn it on, but then I'm not going to get in God's word. Like, it's death to you right now. Yeah, well, I just know if I go do this, then it's not going to have time for this. Well, you've got to see your relationship with Jesus every day as life and death. Life and death. That, that you're starving if you don't get fed by Christ today. Physically, we wouldn't have it. We'd say, no, I got to eat. I'm not going to do anything until I eat. Spiritually, don't let yourself starve. Don't let yourself starve. I'll tell you this as we close out. I have said it once and I'll say it a million times. In my relationship with Jesus over the years, before I was a pastor, as I'm a pastor, whatever, I have never, ever, ever, ever experienced transformation that lasts outside of the times where I have had revelation from God about the meaning of that cross. That's it. Doesn't matter where I'm at, what I'm going through. When I find myself blown away by what Jesus did on the cross, I just can't understand, I can't grasp it, but when I get just a little bit of insight into God's amazing love, and it is my motivation, you can't stop me from loving other people. You don't have to tell me, Ryan, you need to love other people. You can't withhold this love. Like It just flows out of a heart that is thankful and overwhelmed by grace. So let me challenge you. If you're a believer tonight and you find yourself not so overwhelmed by grace, I'll give you something simple. The next seven days before I see you next, spend five minutes, five minutes each day just meditating on the meaning of the cross. Ask God, say, God, I know this message, but show, show me, reveal to me, tell my heart what this means. Tell me about this love. Tell me how it changes the way I see things today. Just get immersed in that. You put yourself in that environment and you'll find spiritual revelation isn't too far behind. Because he wants to reveal himself to his children. You've got to trust and believe that. You don't have to chase him. You've sought him. He'll show himself to you. Let's pray.